0: Hey everybody, you are listening to Canary Cry Radio. Razzle Dazzle, I'm your best buddy Basil.
1: And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 158.
0: 158, 158, we're doing it folks. And uh, we're excited you're here. If you're watching on the live stream, welcome. If you're just tuning in on the podcast feed, You are also welcome. Everybody's welcome here at Canary Cry Radio. Uh, We've got a great interview today uh, with Sheila Skiba, uh, as well as her co-authors, Roberta and Alan Stalvey. And we are very excited to present this to you. We recorded it uh, beforehand, but feel free to uh, ask questions and chat in the chat there. Uh, And man, we've talked about it before. We posted our uh, Rob Scuba tribute episode in the past. Sadly, a friend of the show uh, passed away. Um, Well, you'll hear all about it during the interview because I was... I would say how he passed away, but that's just the official story. And now his uh, persistent widow, his wife, Sheila, uh, as along with some help, has put together a book that is so much bigger than I think uh, they were intending in the first place. And you're going to hear all about it, really a relevant and uh, striking conversation, given The fact that, uh, you know, the powers that be want us to think that the world has gone uh, back to normal and to stop asking questions. So this will be an excellent uh, intro to some very serious evidence to uh, to to the contrary. What do you think guns?
1: Yeah, there were there were so many things that I wanted to go way deeper into, but I think the purposes of this conversation and to maybe inspire people to go get the book and actually get dig the book. in gotta get uh, the book baby we, yeah we we kept uh, the conversation pretty you know pretty straightforward but i it, i
0: beg to differ
1: there you don't don't go. think it was okay
0: i beg <laughs> to differ i think it was excellent and went uh went to some beautiful places that may not show up on some uh, some other interviews but yes of sure. course to get the full story you're gonna need to uh go get the book um let's see here i want to thank uh producers producers of the show uh, you know you know this it was on last episode we're on the value for value model folks which means we take no corporate money whatsoever and you might think to yourself so Other shows ask for donations too. You're not the only one. Yes. Well, do those other shows also play advertisements? Hmm. Double dipping, I'd say. But uh, not here, folks. No corporate money, which means no corporate incentives. This is the raw deal. Wait. I don't know if that's... The right way to say it, but you get the point. (laughs) Uh, Um, We had a couple producers come in uh, to support this episode before we recorded it, and I want to thank them right now. Gons,
1: yeah, let's do
0: it. I want to start by thanking uh, Deborah S. Deborah S. came in, pocket full of sevens. Thank you very much, Deborah. Deborah S. Uh, We also had had. We also had uh, Jeremy F. come in. Jeremy Jeremy F., thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And we know there will be more producers who come in on Friday. Uh, These are just the ones that were here on the Thursday, folks. Something to keep in mind. Um, (laughs) And just remember, if you like having these Canary Cry radio episodes back, please consider becoming a producer of the show. It's not just, uh, you know, a kind, generous thing to do, although it is also that, but it is taking your own media future into your own hands, no longer uh, relying on corporations to decide which media survives and which don't. So if you believe in that, if your paradigm is getting shifted, head on over to CanaryCry.Support. Canary Cry Radio dot com slash support. indeed and of course we'll be thanking more producers uh who came in for this episode on the next canary cry news talk episode which everybody should go listen to all right Gon, so you think there's anything else
1: yeah i'm kind of uh a little bothered that you thought that i considered uh the conversation is like not going to a good place or a beautiful place I, I didn't say that i just said there were certain things i wanted to dig into you know oh, here we go
0: here we go <laughs> yes that is how time works guns we only have time for so much i know uh but yes i you had a lot of fun see try to pick out folks try to pick out the the moments where gonz is completely losing his gourd uh <laughs> because there was there was a few of them um okay ready freddy any- yep ready to go All right, everybody, buckle in for this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Here we go. Three, two, one. Whee!
2: Did you know that a government-incentivized hospital protocol has led to the deaths of untold numbers of unsuspecting people? The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons noted, We now see government-dictated medical care at its worst in our history, since the federal government mandated these ineffective and dangerous treatments and then created financial incentives for hospitals and doctors to use only those approved and paid for approaches. The book, The Protocol That Kills, exposes the lethal regimen adopted by hospitals to maximize profits at the expense of patients' lives. This exhaustive expose provides a first-hand account of the protocol in action as it was invoked on an otherwise strong and healthy 52-year-old Rob Skiba who was diagnosed with a viral infection by the admitting hospital. Within 40 days, this valiant Army veteran who had sworn to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, had fallen at the hands of a government-incentivized domestic enemy. This over 400-page true crime story uncovers every aspect of this lethal protocol in action despite the protest of Rob Skiba and his wife. It includes disheartening text messages from Rob, who was locked away from his wife because she was forbidden to enter the hospital in the name of the protocol. Lawfully recorded detailed conversations his wife had with doctors, therapists, nurses, and hospital staff. Numerous pages extracted from the over 5,000 page hospital record that exposed the protocol that led to his tragic death the testimony of a medical expert who provided his detailed analysis of the case. Invaluable and timely insights of a legal counsel who provides the story behind the story by providing crucial details and evidence, along with over 100 citations from clinical studies, medical journals, federal regulations, and relevant books and articles that prove Rob did not die of natural causes, but due to the perpetrator's insistence that he follow the mandated and inhumane protocol that kills. As Richard Bartlett, MD says, this book shares a wealth of critical insights that will greatly aid in preventing future, needless losses of life. The purpose of this book is to sound an alarm of a clear and present danger, as this lethal protocol is still being used against patients in hospitals all across America and to provide you with essential insights that could help save your life or the life of someone you love. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Get a copy today at theprotocolthatkills.com.
1: As we embarked into the 2020s, we were met with the largest sociological and psychological experiment conducted in modernity. A quote-unquote global pandemic declared by an international institution with unelected officials over-exerting their authority across the world shut down everything from your local coffee shop to five-star luxury destinations thousands of miles away. It was a test of the communications infrastructure to see how far and fast critical information would travel. It assessed how political authorities, both local and federal, Mainstream media outlets and corporations would respond in a -a once-in-a-generation crisis moment. It of course tested the citizens of many nations, their level of compliance or, more explicitly, obedience to these higher authorities. Then came additional levels of tests on society via the vaccines and boosters in response to the variants, one after another. As A modern-day temple of sorts, hospitals became the center of attention during this period for obvious reasons. Institutional health authorities provided protocols to follow, attached with financial incentives in response to stress, pressure, and uncertainties experienced in hospitals across the world, especially in the United States. But what was meant to be a guide to protect and save may have turned out to be a nefarious and discriminatory justification to kill. We all know someone who passed away during the pandemic, and I'm sure many of us question the validity of labels like COVID attached to those friends and family we lost if they were declared as such. And I'm certain that there are untold, heartbreaking stories from the last three years regarding these issues. But as the saying goes, God is good all the time and all the time God is good, which means even the worst tragedies can be a beacon of goodness and truth. And it is with this heart that we welcome the authors of the protocol that kills—a true crime story. Uh, first, here the persistent widow of our late friend and beloved colleague uh, Rob Skiba. We have Sheila Skiba here. Sheila, welcome to Canary Cry Radio.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
1: Uh, we'd also like to welcome co-authors—the uh, co-authors of the protocols that kill, Roberta and Alan Stalvi. Is that my saying that right, Stalvi? Stalvi. Yes. Welcome, Robert and Alan. Thank you. Roberta and Alan, sorry. That's what I'm called.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank This is fun. It's been a long time since we've had uh, such a big gang on the show here, but with uh, a topic as, uh, I don't know, widespread and important as this one, you know, sometimes you got to get the whole team together. This is going to be fun. Um. So, well, right down to business. Protocol that kills. Uh, this is a new uh book that you guys, what is this self published Is this uh I'm assuming no no uh mainstream publisher is gonna help you guys out with this.
3: I followed Rob's lead and went through Amazon, believe it hey, or not.
0: There you go. Okay, I love it. <laughs> yeah. And uh it, it's a weird time in history right now because by some metric, the world has gone back to normal, by some metric, uh, the the sort of traumatic past three years of, of uh, I don't even know, there's no word to fully uh, encompass what the COVID experience was the past few years. So sometimes I feel like those years have been stolen. Some other years, I feel like, uh, I don't know, just life was put on pause. But on the other hand, there's so many things that happen in the world. It's like we pressed fast forward on history uh, a bit. And so, what I love about what you guys have done here is there is a, I would almost say, a divine calling on certain people in the world today to make sure that nobody forgets what happened and also you know, bring some aspects to light uh, that uh, a lot of People in positions of authority would wish would just disappear, so tell us a little bit about um, uh, what what i mean we know what the inspiration for the book was, but maybe if someone was uh, just hearing about you guys for the first time and perhaps had their head in the sand the past three years and had no idea why anybody would be writing a book like this
3: well I'll start um Rob was a whistleblower he was actively. Uh, well, he was alarmed by what he saw going on. Churches were shutting down without question. People were following every you know rule they were setting. And he was sounding the alarm, telling people to wake up that it was a test or why don't, he was just, he got shut off Facebook for two months before his last conference, which was Take on the World 2021 in August. And uh, he knew a lot more than I did. I didn't have my head in the sand, but I was already in a dark place and I didn't want to know the details of COVID. I just pretty much did what everybody else did and stayed home. But uh, he was deep into research. I didn't find this out until after he died when uh, Jeremiah and I went to his computer and he had like 200 windows and he had been deep diving in it. And he was helping people get exemptions and and that kind of thing. So I don't um, I didn't have my head in the sand, but I didn't know my local hospital had turned into a prison. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. my goodness.
2: Uh, Sheila, just to give you some background, did not set out to write a book. Uh, Sheila set out initially to determine what caused Rob's unnecessary, needless death at the hands of medical professionals that you would have thought would put your best interest in mind and would do everything they could to save your life. Instead, it turned out quite the opposite. And instead of using conservative therapies that would have saved his life, they forced on him harmful drugs and therapies, which are clearly detailed in the book. And it's part of our warning. That led to the termination of his life, but she set out initially to find out what happened, and so the first effort was to crawl through over five thousand pages of hospital records and over one hundred hours of recorded dialogue that was transcribed and reviewed by Sheila, Roberta, myself, and uh, we we went through all of that. We spent thousands of hours combing through it, and she spoke with experts and specialists, and some of that is says is in the book as well. To find out what really happened to my husband. Why did my strong, otherwise healthy 52-year-old husband, who was in the best shape of his life, Army veteran, former helicopter pilot, end up dying of a disease with a one, less than 1% chance of dying when all he really needed was oxygen, possibly some antibiotics for some pneumonia, some steroids for inflammation, But instead, he was assaulted with a large number of things that are clearly detailed and outlined in the book as a warning because it's a clear and present danger could happen to anyone. But the next step after finding out, well, what really happened and digging deep into that and having to relive all that, which was horrific, I know, and I feel that for Sheila, over a year's worth of effort of crawling through. But she said, you know, the next step is maybe we could file a lawsuit. That didn't turn out to be possible for various reasons. The CARES Act seems to protect physicians in the state of Texas. There's an act, Senate Bill 6, that protects physicians explicitly and specifically in Texas, and it says for any injuries, economic damages, or death related to a pandemic disease that you pretty well can't file a lawsuit. And even if you do, there's such a limited cap on the possible award that you probably wouldn't get, That it makes it totally untenable to even file such a case. So the next question was, well, then now what do we do to get the message out? What is the mission God would have me on? And Sheila said, you know what? I need to share the story with a court of public opinion. Mm. And that's why she then asked Roberta and me to help her. We've assisted her before. And actually, as an aside, Roberta was there at the bedside when Rob died with Sheila. So we've been intimately involved in this from the beginning. And we have written books before, but that's not what we do for a day job. But we thought, well, we'd love to help her because we'd done the extensive research with her on what happened in the background. And we decided to put together in a special and unique format, as you've seen, which is in multiple voices, Sheila's voice, Rob's voice, the voices of the doctors, the nurses, the therapists, and the staff of the hospital that were reported and transcribed, the voice of a medical expert witness that she paid to crawl through the records and came up with his own analysis, which appears in the book. And then a legal counsel that steps you through over 100 legal counsel statements that give you the background story behind the story of what was going on behind the scenes that Sheila wasn't even aware of until later. And over 130 citations from medical journals, clinical studies, uh, other books and resources, federal regulations that prove that Rob did not die a natural death, but at the hands of his caregivers. So that's kind of the story of what happened.
3: It was premeditated murder and we can prove it. But unfortunately, like Alan said, that there are laws that protect those and they were incentivized. And that it was, um, anyway, we can get more into it, but.
0: Yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, because this was such a wide ranging, um, uh, not just sort of worldwide event, but such a relatable experience for so many people, Sheila, I'm curious, uh, uh, this book was sort of, uh, written in the context of a, a, an investigation after the, after the the situation, but during the situation, while Rob was in the hospital, while this was all going on, what was the experience you were having? What was the, what was the experience as the family member of somebody who was in the hospital for this? Cause there's so many people who uh, will probably be able to relate to that. Yeah.
3: So anybody who knows me know, knows that I um, often take pictures and video and audio. And so uh, when they were very hateful, just with the first when, you know, I can't even believe Rob got in the car for, for the first thing that te- we had called the telemed um, frontline doctors and I and we they had given us all the medications. And but the thing, the problem is he couldn't keep anything down. Anytime he took a drink of water, he would start coughing. So then I put the oximeter. This is like on going on day seven or eight. I don't know. And of course, you know, he's very stubborn. He didn't want to go anywhere, but um, it was down to 70. I think it went all the way down to 50. And I just freaked out and I called the med people and I said, what do I do? And they said, take him to the ER. So I told him we need to go. I mean, you need oxygen. And, um, you know, I wish they would have now knowing what knowing what I know now, if they had just prescribed me oxygen, he may be alive today. And I want to call them and I haven't done this yet, but I want to know why did they tell me to go? Because um, I met a man who lost a 19 year old daughter. They just euthanized her, but um, they told her to go, him to go take her to the hospital. They shouldn't be telling people that. And I don't know, maybe they don't know that these are uh, kill shelters. I don't know.
0: So it was the uh, the original decision to take the situation to a, an emergency room or a hospital facility. That was sort of the, the beginning of the end.
3: Pretty much, and he, you know, it's. I woke up with these words ringing in my ears again this morning. The last thing he said to me was, "I'm going to die in here if you can't be my advocate." That's Mm -hmm. the last thing he said to me uh, in person. We we talked on the phone many times, and we thought that he could hold his own. And if he had told me, "Come get him," I would have, I would have busted the doors down. But he never did.
0: And that was because you weren't allowed to go in and be with him.
3: They locked me out for 21 days. Oh
0: my wow. gosh! Yeah, Three it was weeks. it was
3: hell. Yeah, and that's Three what the weeks. book is. It's a journal of those days.
0: When when you got locked out, what was uh, when did you first really feel that something something wasn't right?
3: I was yelling at my family and breaking things uh, on day one, and I told them they're going to kill them if I can't get in there. They're going to kill them, and they didn't believe me. And um, yeah, I was talking to them on the phone. I was talking to them on the phone. He was coughing, but he was still doing okay. I mean, like I said, if he wanted me to pick him up, I would have been there. He never told me, come get me. Yeah. I think he went down punching, to tell you the truth, because he had them put a, a, they moved him to another floor. They Mm -hmm. gave him a wristband that said, do not intubate. His oxygen went instantly went up to 98 from 70 when they gave him supplemental oxygen. Yeah. Uh, Then all of a sudden on uh, September 8th, they decided to do a BiPAP which was contraindicated because he had a pneumomedia pneumomediastinum, which is air in between your lungs. And it's, I mean, and I've talked to a respiratory therapist, many, and they said that you don't give somebody a BiPAP that has that It can make it, it can cause a collapsed lung. Mm. And uh, anyway, they forced that on him for four and a half hours. It's all in the record. It's in the book. And um, from there, we will never know. I want to yeah. know if we cut the band off his hand, but um, well, it's so evil. It,
0: that's yeah. That's really insane. I mean, that's, It strikes such an emotional chord for so many reasons, but one of them uh, that everybody, if you think back, you'll remember. One of the most disturbing parts about the whole situation, which is reflected in your experience, is the sort of veil of secrecy, the veil between the people and what was going on in the hospital. And there was, for the general public, sort of a a strange soothing effect. I mean, we are all being encouraged time and time again to trust the experts, trust the science. The doctors are trying their hardest. Uh, anybody who says anything else, or even complains about, uh, the, the, the fog, the fog of war that's so hard to see through, uh, was, you know, labeled a conspiracy theorist or whatever. But it, it, your direct experience of this sounds like a complete nightmare. And one that somebody should have to answer for. Um, and especially, I mean, from Rob's perspective, being in in the situation behind the veil, uh, it sounded like he was communicating to you that something quite wasn't right.
3: Yes. And not only that, but in the record after his death, I mean, we combed through page after page and you could see that they were waking him up at night trying to get him to be put on the ventilator. Uh, I mean, every other hour he was being harassed. He was being badgered, even in his text messages, but he never told me to come get him. And they moved him to the fifth floor and I even texted him. You're safe. You're safe there, but it didn't last. So,
0: yeah. Now the experience that he had in there, I mean, obviously traumatic at the time, but you do uh, keep referring to you. It sounds like you were able to get your hands on all these records. What was the process uh, between you know the the ending of the well I guess the beginning of the turmoil uh, and trying to figure out the mystery of what happened I'm surprised that you were able to get your hands on these records.
3: Well, let me tell you something interesting. Um, and I know because I ta- I take care of a few elderly people that have doctors that I drive them to their visits, and I know for a fact that you can get something called my chart. And you can look at everything on in real time. And so I asked the head nurse, or the, I'm sorry, the charge nurse who's on in charge of all the nurses in the ICU at the beginning of this nightmare, I need to get into my Rob's my chart." And she told me, "Oh, you don't get that until you discharge." And i I was like, no, that's not true. So then I talked to another nurse, and they finally, and Rob actually uh, was on the phone with me, and now and because he has twenty emails, he was talking me through it. And I got in. So I got into my chart. And I'll let you know, there was about maybe five or six medical professionals daily looking at his medications and everything. And um, so that was the beginning of the medical records. But when he died, I it was fairly simple. You just uh, request them and then they give you a CD. They kind of jacked around a little bit. They gave me a blank CD and I had to drive back to Arlington to get it. But other mm-hmm. than that, it was fairly simple. Um, but but they didn't have a signature in there. And so I uh, Jeremiah and I, we we went up there two or three times to get another record. And it was like 341 more pages. And it's weird because that one had something about restraints and um, it had a few more details in it. So I don't know. I don't know.
0: Restraints. So they didn't give you the full records the first time around.
3: Now, maybe I didn't see them, but I do know there were more pages. I don't know how they format their records, but
0: my gosh, it's a
3: forensic file. It's a forensic file.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's a, uh, it's, I mean, the way that the book is written and the setup that you guys have right from the start is that it is a true crime story. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, uh, I don't know, I was going to say it's so entertaining in a way, but that's obviously not the point It's entertaining because we already know who done it. I mean, the mystery. The and they my- were
3: paid good money for it. They were paid big bucks to do it.
0: Yeah, right. It was their job. My goodness. So what was, um, uh, Like, what were a couple of the first big red flags in the records that you saw? That I mean, of course, being bereaved and being uh, concerned about your husband in the Mm -hmm. hospital, this is all very anxiety-inducing. But when did things start to make sense? What did you see first that really uh, started setting the the wheels in motion for this uh, book?
3: Well, you know, it's been a year and a half and I will say the reason for that is because and I'll let Roberta speak after I is that we found a new detail that was so huge every single day and and Roberta kept reminding me um this is this is for a purpose we can't rush things because we're, we're finding new details out and you want to you want to do you remember the some of the first ones Roberta you want to share? <clears throat> there's so many. Well, there's so many because because the very first
4: in the very first 24 hours there was a doctor that screamed at both Sheila and Rob over the phone to Sheila in the presence by Rob's bedside. Do you want to die? Screaming that he needed to be intubated when his oxygen levels were at 94 to 96%. And he was doing fine. So they were being grossly intimidated. So she decided she was going
3: to record all her conversations from that point on. Mm. So Rob could hear it. I never thought he was going to die. So I let him hear the hell that I was going through, Mm, you know, so I recorded everything and I never stopped even all the way up until his death. That's 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 the content of the book really without the the doctor's
4: knowledge, because it's legal here in Texas to do this. Right. What we found is after Rob died, because we were combing through the records and Sheila was transcribing her calls to, that she had with the doctors Hi, and calls. transcripts. And we found so many discrepancies in what they told her and what they put in the record. Mm, really? Outright lies, deception. And because of, and that's the first thing. And there, there's so many of those that we point out in the book, we can't possibly scream. They had made these 25 points. And we know this because when we compare our story with others, with that lost loved ones, we began to see that they were using the same script. Yeah. Do you want to die? Yelling at the patient, Um, keeping food and water from the patient, starving them to death, weakening them so they can't breathe, giving them certain drugs that would make it work. Make them work harder for breathing. These drugs were horrible. We won't mention the names right now. And because we found that they were following a script, we said we have got to write the story, get the story out, get the script out. But not just that. We want to also give a solution. So we have discovered a solution before you even enter a hospital. What might save your life once you enter that you have you have. uh, made these precautions.
2: Yeah, one of the things that I wanted to mention is as we crawl through the records, we noticed that within 24, well, not even 24 hours, the evening of his arrival on September 3rd of 2021, in the emergency department, the nurse practitioner, while his oxygen levels are improving on high-flow nasal cannula alone, said, candidate for innovation. Mm-hmm. And you can see that there was a... A plan, let's call it, for Rob that 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 we called it the protocol, and they wanted him to experience the full protocol. And they wrote down things in the records that made it clear that he might have even been targeted, because in the records you'll notice, and we have exhibits of these in the book, that it says multiple times in bold caps, unvaccinated really that matter as a matter of fact Sheila could tell the story that when she arrived at the emergency department the one question they asked when she said don't you want to know his medical history and they shoved her out the door
3: yeah what did they say yeah they asked me is he vaccinated and I said no and then that's all they wanted to know and I said well his father's lost a kidney don't give him remdesivir that's what I told him because I said we know about it don't give it to him we told him like from the start and they gave it to him while he was sleeping they gave him 800 milligrams of that drug
0: oh my gosh that's so evil You know, the the thing that is really horrifying about this is, uh, you know, in the pandemic situation, in, you know, emergency, uh, national emergencies, things are uh, not only chaotic and secretive, uh, but also, you know, when you hear this story about the, uh, the, I don't even know the words to call it, the pushiness, the insistence, the disrespect, the intimidation.
3: Yeah, it's just
0: all of it uh I mean that's one thing, but you i think it would be a mistake to assume or come to the conclusion that this is uh a contained you know for a that that's a good excuse, and b that this doesn't happen all the time i mean they seem so comfortable with the way that they treated people, disregarded uh their best interests in almost every step of the way, and you know I shudder to think that there are Mostly, like, even though they they've backed off on the, the whole COVID emergency thing, that this could happen to anybody at any time in any hospital. You know, this is uh, I think the this this power structures want us to think that this was a special case, and that uh, sure maybe people made bad decisions, but we just didn't have the data. Well, in fact, we did, but that this kind of mentality—it's really. A spiritual uh, or mental position that these people have of authority that uh, seems to give them, at least in their own minds and their own hearts, sort of carte blanche to uh, t- to do their grim work, as it were. Um, yeah. and, and, and they
4: were a reaper.
0: Yeah, and that's why I think that this book is, you know, it's not. You know, somebody might be tempted. To think, oh well, COVID's over, so maybe this won't uh, be a thing anymore. I mean, we could uh, think, talk about it, or read about it as a horror story or something. But that's that's over. That's long gone. But what you're really revealing here is a, a sort of principality. A um, I mean, protocol being a great word for it. I mean, this is a. Uh, a, a force going on behind the scenes in the scientific medical community that uh, th- I mean, this could happen at any moment for any reason to anyone.
3: It's a depopulation agenda and we can prove it. And I'll mm-hmm. just say um, I lost my thought. I forget what I was going to say.
0: That's okay. Yeah. So, so you get into, you get into some of those broad concepts in the book then.
3: Yes. Oh, I know what I was going to say. So, you know, People kept asking me, what happened to Rob? What happened to Rob? I was thinking, I mean, I was in shock. I never thought he was going to die, even the day he died. And we weren't there when he died. Uh, he died before that. Anyway, that's a long story. And I'll leave that for the people that want to read the book. But it's it's a charade. It's like, um, I don't know how they, I don't know how those people sleep at night. I don't. And you'll you'll find, too, that they don't use nurses that are from Dallas. They use, they bring in traveling nurses, Mm. And so these people are moving from city to city, doing this protocol, killing people. And so, I, you know, I've never trusted hospitals and I've been people I've been other people's advocates. They would have been dead if I hadn't been there. They've been killing people for years. And this just gave them a free uh, free uh, free ride or whatever, a free ticket to do whatever they wanted without any immune, without any um, danger, right. you know, and, and I, don't, I think yeah. a million people died this way. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, say the third leading cause of death to Americans is
4: malpractice. Oh yeah, the hospital. Third leading cause. I think it's really the number one cause.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so interesting. I mean that that statistic, that piece of data is. I mean, it is known. You can find it that is the fact that the third leading cause of death in our country is going to the hospital. You know, and, and being treated a certain way. Um, wow, my goodness. Well, you here's what I
4: need something from the book.
0: Yes, please.
4: Actually, Sheila's book. And in the acknowledgments, part two, there's a poem and there's a picture of three vultures sitting on a pile of money inside the hospital. They have stethoscopes around their neck mm. and they're screaming, these mm. vultures. Yeah. This poem is called The Masquerade. Vultures in hospitals masquerade as doctors with murder from money, their trade. Sedatives and paralytics, their tools. Comatose patients, their unfortunate fools. Isolation, prison, stripped and bare. Humiliation, alone, lost, frightened and scared. No one to hear their silent cries, their bodies violated, their spirits die. These vultures, a scourge of the land, stealing the sick and taking a stand against the weak, the vulnerable, the poor, their greed and cruelty forever a scourge. But justice will come in the end. For the vultures, their time is near at hand and the families, they will find peace when much needed justice is finally released amen mm.
3: amen
0: wow yeah I love that's, the hopeful the hopeful tone at the end there
3: Jeremiah yeah. all the art it's called snapshots of our nightmare he did the art in the book
0: oh my god who did
4: my
3: son
0: oh that's, that's very uh, good.
3: Jeremiah right. we must have about
4: 30 pictures that he created for this book
0: my goodness well the the book uh, you held it up there it is Impressively yeah, large. It. That was bigger yeah. than I expected. It's one inch thick, eight and a half by 11, yeah, over two pounds.
3: It's a case, so, it's it's a a case, like case study textbook. Yeah.
2: Oh, it is. And, it's and like he,
3: Rob's Genesis book. That's about how big it is.
2: Yeah. Right. <laughs> a, we, we had an interview with an attorney from Fresno uh, just recently, and he said, You need to have a hardcover book for yeah. reference. I and mean, he reviewed it, and he said, It reads like a legal brief. And that's what the legal counsel statements do. So you could read it as a true crime docudrama, but you can also read it as a legal brief. You can read it as a body of evidence, just looking at the appendices. I mean, it is, it's a complex book in some ways, but it's uh, also just read it as a chronological 40-day story of what happened, including the legal counsel statements, so that as you read what happened to Sheila day by day by day. And then the legal counsel steps in, sometimes several times during that day, to explain the story behind the story, provide some of the clinical study data and federal regulations that were being violated at that time. For example, just a simple example, Sheila being told by a nurse when her husband is in the hospital in intensive care and she's not allowed in to see him because he's in isolation, will you please do me a favor since I'm now his advocate, I have medical power of attorney, I'm supposed to make medical decisions, but I cannot even see the care he's being given. Hmm. Would you please send me a photo of my husband? And she said, HIPAA will not allow me to do that. That's wrong. And that's not true. Wow. And I helped to write the legal counsel statement. So I document that in the book, in a legal counsel statement, how they're speaking out of turn. And same thing when they say, well, CDC says we have to keep you locked out for 21 days. And we also point that out. The CDC cannot Mandate. mandate anything. They established something called, and you understand this word, what it means, guidelines. That's it. They issue guidelines. And yet the hospital used those guidelines to their advantage for their benefit when it suited them so that they could keep people out, so they didn't have interference from families, so that no one was there to interfere with the protocol they had in mind from from the beginning, as you saw the evening he was admitted. Candidate for innovation written down by a nurse practitioner right there in the records. We saw that and we thought. Well, if that doesn't show intent, then what does? And we have a wealth of hospital records redacted. We renamed the hospital. We renamed each individual. So they're not called out as an individual because we want this to be a universal story. We don't yeah. want them to think it's specific to this hospital in Plano, Texas. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. Yeah. This is happening in hospitals all across America. Unless you think it's not still happening, we just had a call yesterday With a woman who is a hospital advocate. It is her full time job.
4: Patient advocate. Patient
2: advocate, sorry. But uh, to try and help people get rescued. I'm not kidding. That's the word she uses rescued from hospitals today in the very same type of insidious, malicious protocols that deal with government incentives. Because we're talking about this is the most detailed expose ever written on this government incentivized protocol. There are hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of stories of people who've died at the hands of medical professionals, but they're all brief. They're all short, episodic stories, and they're sad, just sad as Rob's. But this is the most detailed analysis done. I'd like to see Ron Johnson present this book in a Senate hearing because he's held a couple of them already on this pandemic and how poorly this has been managed. As evidence of what's been going on and continues to happen in hospitals today, this is not old news. It's not old news. It's current news. It's a clear and present danger. It's still happening. The woman that's trying to do rescues from hospitals today is the one who we spoke with just yesterday. And I put a link on our resources page at com on our resources page. There's a link to the documents you need to get notarized and hand to the hospital when you arrive. If you want to have any chance of them not forcing their will on you and saying, like I'm like sorry, a vaccine, like
3: a vaccine. Yeah, you've got to do it. Before vaccinate
2: you, whether you know hospital. it or not, because they and they, what they'll do is they'll just say, well, he said it was OK. He gave us verbal. Right. It's another part of it. But anyway, this is a clear and present danger. I'd love to see Ron Johnson present this book in a Senate hearing, have a hearing on hospital protocols. They've had a hearing on the vaccines. They've had a hearing on how the pandemic was handled. They haven't had a hearing on these protocols. And it's time that these protocols be stopped. Yeah. It's leading to the deaths of innocent people who don't know better and don't know how to stop what's going on.
0: Yeah. Not only is there, uh, can I imagine that, you know, lot, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people wondering what happened to their family member? What exactly happened behind the curtain without their knowledge that will find a lot of insight uh into what you know e- each and every uh patient situation could have been you know this is uh, going to be extremely valuable to those who are uh trying to recover emotionally financially everything from uh, such a horrendous horrendous situation but like you said it's exciting because it uh it lays out a framework in extreme detail About how the organizations and the individuals who, right now, today, this very day, are spending time and energy trying to convince the country that they weren't responsible for it. It was whoever was above them. You know, every from all the way down from doctors to Fauci to the CDC to Biden himself, everybody is uh, just pushing off responsibility because that is the nature of. Uh, the American power structure, and it's hard to uh, nail down exactly who or what organization should be held responsible. And a lot of that is because of the very effective veil of secrecy that so many people aren't able to actually look into each and every case, That uh, at least the cases that they experience and i think this is an extraordinary resource an extraordinary tool uh that not only is uh, valuable for somebody on a personal level but uh at least to mobilize some uh s- some uh i don't know attention or m- motivation or motion or uh establish the kinds of data needed uh, to hold somebody responsible for you know the <laughs> the whole thing yeah so i really appreciate what you guys did
1: yeah on top of that it's it's you guys laid kind of a blueprint for like basil was saying people that may have experienced this who don't know where to start you know what do i do what i didn't know anything about the my my plan type of stuff there's things that maybe people don't know about that that they can look into if they experience something like this um one thing that there's so many things that are you know listening to um everyone talking about this and It just, it makes me sad, obviously, with so many people affected, but, you know, there's a part of me also that, you know, this was a moment where things got really real for a lot of people, you know, prior to 2020, Basil and I, we've been, and Rob too, we've been talking about a new world order or eugenics agenda, or, you know, these things that, Your common folk will look at and say, ah, maybe, I don't know, you know, it's conspiracy, blah, blah, you know, that kind of thing. And what's interesting to me is that there's documentation that supports a type of discrimination for those who are unvaccinated, especially in these situations. And just as an example, we heard a lot about the pandemic of the unvaccinated. That was like a mainstream (laughs) phrase being used, the pandemic of the unvaccinated. Um, I, I have a document here from the NIH. This was published back in January of this year. It's called "The Pandemic of the Unvaccinated: A COVID-19 Ethical Dilemma," and it explores the. It goes through the Israeli data, which nobody wants to talk about, but is you know Israel had a lot of people vaccinated, and they have a lot of data, and um, they go through just sort of the the ethical dilemmas of who gets treatment, who doesn't get treatment, and you know who who got preferential treatment and a lot of times the unvaccinated did get preferential treatment especially the younger ones in at least in israel in the study and um what they talk about here was uh how let me just read a (laughs) a little section here a sentence one can argue that many of the unvaccinated are victims of misinformation and fake news why is that sentence on a, a national institute of health document i mean that mm. that's not even it's not scientific it's not like a medical thing it's just a statement like unvaccinated people tend to believe misinformation I, that that is the kind of thing that will instill bias and discrimination in the hospitals and so my, my question is have any of you uh met or have run into people who were completely skeptical about any kind of eugenics program or anything like that, heard about Rob's story, or maybe the book. I know the book hasn't been out that long, but ha- have you seen or run into anybody who who's completely changed their opinion, or maybe just throughout the pandemic, changed their opinion about what the reality of this whole apparatus is based on what occurred here or something like this?
3: well we've been so busy deep into the research that you know we're just now coming out publicly but i will say that um our goal is to save lives and like you said the families that just think their loved one died of covid shed the light that no they didn't they were they were drugged to death i mean you know and it was the unvaccinated that were put on ventilators they were forced on them and it's it's documented in in so many ways but i want to see the hospitals held accountable to release the data to the families, so that I can know how many people in that hospital that were not uh, that were not vaccinated were put on ventilators against their will. I, I want to know because I had a local pharmacist tell me that nobody who had the vaccine got put on a ventilator, and I don't know if that's true. But the thing is, Rob is a statistic now, and I know they're taking notes and they're keeping records. So I'm hoping you know something will come of it. And, and like Alan said, uh, we need another Senate hearing. They are doing this today, and. Just yesterday, we would have added it to the book, but we just had this call after the book was published. But we want to share the solution. The thing is, nobody knows if they're going to have a a car accident or anything. You could go in for a, you know, a broken arm, and you could end up getting jabbed, and you know what the what that does? Blood clots. There's not even reporting on all the deaths across the world, really. Um, So these documents that somebody has created it with uh, with with a system in mind, and it's working. So I think that that is the are the strongest message we have. You know, people want to know what happened to Rob. They can read the story, but more important, they need to they need to fill this out, notarize it, and follow the directions. I'm going to have the lady uh, talk about it on Stephen News Nation on the 10th of May. But um, we can kind of it's on our website, and uh, it's so serious because nobody knows when they're going to have to go. They don't listen. You have no rights. They're all gone if you go to the hospital.
2: Yeah, speaking of hospitals, I I not that you need to know this, but I used to be a medic in the Air Force. Um, one, part of my past history, I've done many things, but I worked ICU as a medic. I understand hospital protocols and 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 I understand what's called standard of care. And that's the challenge we face today is the standard of care, unfortunately, in many cases is killing patients. And that's where the, they're protected. If the hospital doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists and dieticians are following what they call the standard of care, no one can go after them legally. No one can cause them any harm. They feel total immunity. And they say, but this is the CDC protocol. These are the approved drugs to be used. So I'm going to go ahead and use them. And you ask for quercetin and zinc and vitamin C and other things. And they go, that's not on the menu here. That's they not part of the protocol. They refuse so it, baby. It, it's, it's insidious. It's total immunity that they have because they're following the standard of care established by the hospital's medical board by the NIH, by the CDC, supported by the FDA. And they're all in on this together. And it's interesting, Sheila mentioned depopulation agenda. And I know that sounds conspiratorial. And I realize some people may say, well, that's just a bit way out there. And you guys are off the rails saying that. I don't really think so. There's something insidious to this.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: all you got to do is look at the recent population data from around the world, especially starting in 2019. And uh, if there's not a depopulation agenda, there sure is a pretty big coincidence in depopulation <laughs> yeah. going yeah. on around the world uh, yeah. on both ends, both both. Uh, uh, what's the word uh, extra deaths? I forgot what it was called, <laughs> but uh, the extra deaths and the lack of uh, you know, fertility going on around the world. If there isn't uh, a master plan for this sort of thing. They should definitely be working on a master plan to do the opposite, at least, because we are suffering depopulation uh, in a way that could, depending on who you ask, collapse society in, it, yeah. in quick order.
4: Mm-hmm. All right. So this argument about following hospital protocol and they're protected. Same thing during the Holocaust. This, mm-hmm. is, of the, this yeah. is the worldwide Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And those doctors, those Nazi doctors were following protocol. And right. they they were hung. Yeah. Dr. What's his name? Mangala. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Mengele, mang- he mangled people. Right. And yeah. so, was he, is he exempt because he was following protocol? We can't use that as an excuse.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, even more disturbing as we consider how quickly the world is heading towards uh, another world war. Uh, again, just another facet. If somebody wasn't planning a depopulation agenda. It sure looks like somebody is. Um, now you have come at this from so many angles. There's uh, the, there's the there's legal angles. There's legal legal expert. There's medical experts. There's uh, of course you include documents excerpts from hospital records and uh, documenting the incentive payments for COVID nineteen. Uh, so many different angles at which to go through this. Which. Thank God helps to explain the sort of length of the book, uh, which, which for me personally, you know, some people are into that sort of thing. For me personally, it makes me question my life choices when I get in, uh, when I get into my my reading level, my third grade reading level. Um, but so an audio nobody,
3: version for you.
0: Hey, there you go. Thank you very much. Uh, but you know, it's beautiful that you have so many facets to this. Uh, to this situation, to this gem. So no matter who somebody is, no matter what their background, there is an extremely relatable uh, way to look at this book. So I just want to give you some props for that. Uh, And as far as what's that? Can I share an insight for you? Please, please. As I said before, Sheila wasn't
2: setting out to write a book. She set out to find out what happened to her husband. Then she said, can I file a lawsuit? And then she found out that that was just totally impossible and untenable and wasn't going to happen. No attorney would take a case where the maximum award is less than the cost of actually bringing the case and bringing the expert witnesses. But the other thing that's interesting as an aside is that Roberta, when she was felt called to help Sheila write her story, we started to write it as a memoir. And it was going to be Sheila's story of what happened in the 40 days of terror that she experienced mm. at the hands of these medical experts. And then she felt the Lord tell her, don't write it that way. That's not going to work. This is not what I want you to do. And she felt this check in her spirit. that I, And she. we were over at Sheila's house, and, and she, we lived just minutes from each other. And she said, I can't write this book. I, I can't do it. There's something checking my spirit. I can't do it. There's something different we have to do. And then that brought in the idea of the court of public opinion, the legal counsel statements, the background evidence, now with over 130 citations, as I said, that gives the story behind the story, because we wrote it as a memoir, it would be a woman who experienced a horrible experience at the hands of these professionals, and it'd be a day-by-day chronology of this, this very sad story. But without the legal counsel statements and the exhibits that we provide that we refer to throughout the book in the appendices... You really wouldn't understand the insidious nature of this. And the Lord wanted that out. I think he wanted this story told in that level of depth and detail that, as I said, has never been done before. And as I say that, let me just read one other thing from our website on the homepage, because I don't want medical professionals to think that we're attacking them all. Mm -hmm. What we wrote at the top of our website under the promo video is, if you are a medical professional or have friends or family who are, please know that we are aware that there are many kind and compassionate doctors and nurses who have refused to support the protocol that kills, even when doing so costs them their jobs. Those who bravely stood against this atrocity deserve to be recognized as modern day heroes. And the forward of the book is written by a registered nurse who left the profession for that very reason. So for those, we honor you, we respect you, and we admire you, that you took a stand against this madness. So we're not against all medical professionals, but those who put morality aside and who simply look the other way and say, it's hospital protocol, so I can go ahead and do it, They need to check their conscience and they need to realize that that just like we were talking about Nuremberg trials, that they need to realize that they are ethically and morally responsible for the actions they take, regardless of whether or not the hospital administrators and their medical boards have told them this is the protocol to follow. If they realize it's wrong and it's killing people, and they do, they ought to, it's right in front of them, they should say, I'm not doing this anymore. And many have, and we honor
0: them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. You know, it's been uh, one of the biggest crimes throughout the whole thing that you could see happen daily was uh, dissenting voices from within the system uh, be completely not only censored, but uh, canceled and uh, lose their livelihood and their lives get totally upside down simply for uh, just holding a professional opinion about what's best for their patients. Uh, yes. which, you know, I think really opened a lot of people's eyes to the nature of the system that we that we live in. And, you know, again, the scientific sort of religion where you don't question uh, the, the cult leaders uh, because they have the power uh, to hurt you very badly.
2: Yeah. You know, I was just listening to a video where uh, Dr. Scott Jensen was being interviewed by Jordan Peterson. It's on YouTube. And Dr. Scott Jensen, an MD in practice for decades, uh, who ended up being in the Senate for his uh, state Senate. And then when he got a CDC memo, he was saying in this video, you can find it, just look up Tyranny Through Weaponized Bureaucracy. Dr. Scott Jensen, interviewed again by Dr. Jordan Peterson. I had access to more information than many people did because I was vice chair of the Health and Human Services Committee in the Senate. And so I was aware of much of what was going on. And then in the early days of April of 2020, when I received an email from the Department of Health with a link to the CDC advising me as a physician that they were going to adjust the way death certificates were completed. And he said that he could not morally stand behind what the CDC sent him, a communication saying, if anyone even dies of something, no matter what the cause, if they're in any way related or any way have access to COVID or have been have been near someone with COVID, just go ahead and put COVID as the cause of death. And he said, that's absolutely wrong. That's, un- that's not correct. Uh, it could be maybe in a contributing cause, but he said, if somebody, for example, had a heart attack that led to a problem with uh, heart failure that led to them having. Uh, the, their heart continue to go downhill. They end up in hospice care. They know they can't get a transplant. They know they're going to die. And 48 hours before they die of their final massive heart attack, they're exposed to COVID and never had a test. Right. I think he's in Minnesota. He said the state of Minnesota medical board instructed him that you're to put COVID on the death certificate as a cause of death. Yeah. Again, that's all to prop up the number of COVID deaths. And even in Rob's case, our opinion is, and we spell this out clearly throughout the book, in spite of what he may have been exposed to, yes, I do believe he had double pneumonia. I had the same thing. I came down with the same thing months later. I'm over 10 years his senior, and I chose to survive at home with supplemental oxygen. And his example saved my life. Knowing his story kept me from going to the hospital and being forced to follow, quote, the protocol, the standard of care. And I would have been another statistic. I am confident of that, especially since I'm unvaccinated. I would have been a target. It was like, oh, okay, you're one of those. We're going to make yeah. an example of you. And I, and I think that's what would have happened. So I ended up surviving COVID on the floor for nine days, breathing in a prone position with supplemental oxygen. But that's okay. I'm, there's a little bit of my story in the book, just to point out that you can survive at home, even somebody beyond 65. Mm. Uh, it's certainly possible to do it. Uh, but anyway, I'm just saying that about this doctor, he was saying, this is not correct. We're not supposed to be... Uh, pumping up the numbers just because you want us to put COVID. So he said, that's what they were told to do. Somebody just exposed to COVID last 48 hours, make that the primary cause of death. If that's not insidious, what is? We know that there is an agenda here. We know there's a plan here to make this look like worse than it is. Rob could have easily survived with simply supplemental oxygen. We mentioned this in the book, steroids and antibiotics. I am confident because that's all I had access to struggle as it was I had food and water, which is another thing he was denied. We get into that in the book. You'll have to read the story to see how insidious that was. Wow. And talk about, you know, dietitian and nutritionist. No, 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 no. You read the book and you see what this woman was doing and, and her involvement with Rob and some of the things doctors said about, oh, he's not eating. Like, it's no big deal. That's not on the menu. What's on the menu when you go to a hospital is pharmaceuticals and therapies that may be harmful to your health. What's not on the menu is a good diet, food, nutrition, water, if you don't happen to be have the strength to order the food and water and you don't have the strength yeah. to eat it and to drink it because you're having trouble breathing, that that's not their problem, and it's just right. amazing. You'll see how insidious that is if you read the book,
0: yeah, really. i mean the the reflection there's such an interesting spiritual reflection to the whole situation where money uh being you know lying behind the whatever is pulling the strings, you know this spirit of mammon and as we know you know mammon requires blood so to see this sort of long-standing uh spiritual pattern where uh the you know to s- truly serve the god uh, that will give you the the wealth that uh, you demand is going to require blood and we see that yeah. uh, over and over again in this situation can't,
1: can't serve two masters
4: mm-hmm.
1: um and to your point there you know uh, one of the things we covered over the last three years, we did a lot of COVID stuff on Canary Cry News Talk, and the a few things jump out at me if I try to refresh my memory on things, and one of them is the World Health Organization official documentation that they published, you know, publicly, that outlines the labeling of death from COVID, and I. I didn't understand everything that was in there. Obviously, I'm not a medical practitioner or anything like that, so I, but I did read it, and it was sort of a presentation format. But there were certain things that really stood out to me. And one of them was that in the case of not having a lab-confirmed positive case of COVID, it was up to the people there, the practitioners, to use their judgment. To label a death as COVID or not. And I thought, wow, okay. So just whatever, whatever they're feeling, whatever they, the, the, the feeling of the the person recording the deaths, they get to decide if there's not an actual, you know, lab confirmed thing, stuff like that. That made me question like, wow, this is really there, there, there's it's broken from the top down, so to speak. But, um, I do want to drill down a little bit on sort of not just a spiritual element, but more it, in the topic of Rob specifically, you know, Rob ha- had a large audience. He talked about many different things. I know a lot of people agreed or disagreed with him. I, I thought people were harsh on him when he explored certain mm-hmm. topics and theology and things like that, which I-, I know he was just searching for the truth. And that's what mm-hmm. everyone, everyone loved about Rob. Um, but the thing that really struck me was hearing about Rob's death was, was shocking enough. And then four days later, we hear that Russ Dizdar passes away. And mm. Ru- Russ was part of the community as well and and did, obviously, extraordinary work exposing a lot of the really, really dark stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious. His wife. wife died too. Yeah. So, yes, yes. So I'm curious if there's anything in the book, and, and maybe it's not something for the book, but in going over all the documentation and everything, is there anything that might suggest that there was a direct, almost like a personal targeting of Rob. Maybe not, you know, just some rogue nurse or something like that, but more so a memo, something that really targeted Rob specifically for maybe who he was.
3: So, uh, two things. One is Jeremiah demanded that I get an, a private autopsy. He said it was important, and so we did one. And I'm glad that we did because the the medical uh, expert who wrote the interim analysis with the nine causes of action came from that. There's no COVID written anywhere on that. But um, mm. uh, that that's uh, now nah, I've lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Um, okay, I, I will say uh, Rob was at a conference called Take on the World, and it was in August, and his last presentation that he created was called revelation 12 and the nuremberg connection now he didn't give that talk because he said the holy spirit hijacked the the conference and i don't know what that means but i don't know if it was his choice or their choice but um after he died jeremiah and i actually you know got his slides and put our voices to it but i will say that um this Nuremberg thing happened seventy five years ago. Last year was the seventy fifth anniversary. If you try to find the actual document online, you will not find it. There's one person that did that republished it. She's a Holocaust survivor, and it's very simple. And they broke every single code, every single one they broke when in, concerning Rob's uh, hospitalization. And guess who is the head of the ethics committee in uh, or the head of the ethics at the NIH? Just guess.
0: Isn't that, the wife uh, of Fauci's oh, yeah. wife? Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah okay. And she she badgered people. I heard that she was creating uh, people. Well, she was creating a lot of hate towards the unvaccinated, even in her own circles. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a spirit of hate. Yeah. It's like it's a uh, it's propaganda. It's on purpose. Um, You know, if I can just try to spin this positive, it's we want to see lives changed, uh, saved. And so h- how tragic it is. Rob was on a quest for truth. And so I felt obligated to write this story, exposing it all. I didn't hold back anything, and uh, and and give a solution. And so, please go to um, ourpatientsrights. I'm sorry, ourpatientrights.com, and get those notarized. Follow the directions; they're all laid out. It's not that complicated. Put it in your car. Give it to your husband or wife. I mean, you, you've got to be prepared. I wish I had known that. I didn't. Yeah. I wish I had oxygen. I didn't. Alan's only alive because Roberto was, was with me when Rock died. Or he would have gone to the hospital and be, been another statistic. Right. I didn't know. I didn't know the hospitals were were kill shelters. But I do now. And see, and until it happens to you, you don't really care about it, or you don't really know. You know.
2: Now yeah. you mentioned targeting guns. Here's something that was insightful for me. When we called a telemedicine doctor to at least get prescriptions for things that might help me, I, I did have double pneumonia. I had a fever of 105. I was really, truly near death. And in any other situation, I would have gone to the hospital. However, I knew that I would probably not survive the encounter. And so I stayed home and said, you know what? I'm going to live here. I'm going to die here. But one of the interesting things that the telemedicine doctor said was, "Here I'm going to prescribe antibiotic, I'm going to prescribe steroid, but I'm also going to prescribe another drug that's for prostate." And I said, "Why? I don't know what prostate is." She just said, "Well, it lowers your testosterone." And I said, "Why? Do you want to lower <laughs> your testosterone?" She said, "Well, <clears throat> it just so seems, and if you know, I believe this thing's bioengineered, she said, it just so seems that the higher your testosterone levels, the more likely that this virus will take you down. And we, then I, thought, I started thinking about that, and I thought, well, now, you know what? Every story you see, now, Russ and his wife both died, but normally it's the husband dies. Huh. The husband and wife both get COVID. The wife has a small, you know, minor, maybe a bit of a head cold problem, and the husband comes down with it full bore. Same thing with Sheila and Rob. Sheila had it, too. But she didn't have it like Rob did. And it seems like more often than not, it's the men that are dying. And so there's clear evidence that there's something baked into the cake because she Mm -hmm. said, I need to help you lower your testosterone levels if you want to survive this. And I thought, wow. 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 And And by the way,
3: that that conference was in Ohio and Russ lives in Ohio. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. And I don't know if you saw it, but Russ is, I mean, what's his name? Um, Mike Adams. Mm -hmm. And Steve, Steve Quayle, Quayle, right after Rob's death, did a did a show. They didn't, and they and they put Rob in the description, and they said that there was a hit list. And I tried to call Steve Quayle and ask him about it. I want to know where is this list. I want to see it. But he, I didn't get a call back, but um, who knows? I don't know if it was aerosol. Uh, I don't know how they go about doing it. Now I, I heard it's in our food, and you know they're spraying us every day. It's a spiritual battle. I mean, we just have to believe that the father is going to protect us. And that's kind of our hope here is that Rob didn't die in vain, that this book is going to expose the darkness and people are going to wake up, including, you know, our own families.
0: Indeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to thank everybody for your time. You've been very generous with your time. uh, And I want to make sure that everybody knows where to go and uh, how to get the book and how to engage with you guys uh, online and your projects and things like that. Uh, But Sheila, there's been reference to you in The Persistent Widow. Um, And I just thought it might be uh, profitable here to just read a little bit of scripture. Um, And I want to hear, you know, a little bit of what you think and what you're going through, because uh, it really is inspiring and really does, uh, you know, it's so it's uh, writing a book at all is such a huge undertaking but writing a book that uh, uncovers and documents uh, throughout hundreds and hundreds of pages in such a, a a good way now and and i know you had uh, some assistance with some great friends there with you um but i think it really encompasses uh, the persistent widow parable here in luke 18. I'll start at, uh, I'll just start at one. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think. Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. (laughs) And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, you'll find faith on the earth. (laughs) I always loved the persistent widow, mainly because of the judge's attitude. It's like, this woman is going to hurt me very badly. And uh, so I'll just give her what what she deserves. Um, And, you know, I really see that spirit in what you've done and what you continue to do. And um, myself and the rest of the listeners and guns as well, of course, will be uh, praying Uh, For your strength and your even more persistence, uh, if that were even possible.
3: Yeah. Just to just to share just a little insight to that scripture is after Rob died, I was still believing for resurrection, and and Rob and I were on a journey to see the supernatural from day one, even before Mm -hmm. we were married. We knew that it it said, "You will do these things in greater," and we were like, "There has to be something more to this experience than what we've been taught." And we actually we eventually left the church because nobody was talking about it so when he died I, I i and i told this friend of mine uh we're gonna pray and try to raise rob and she said why why would god raise rob and i was like i, I felt like it was a slap in my face and i said mm. he says it himself he says uh, will i find faith when i return and anyway so that ended and then we ended up burying rob and then weeks went on and I, I went to the scripture to find where that where it said will i find faith because i didn't know where it was and when i went to find it it was the title of that section was the persistent widow and that's how i found that yeah it's amazing i mean i think that's some serendipity i mean rob always prayed father uh, show me a tangible give me a tangible you know visual uh something to to know that you're there and every time he he would he would connect the dots for rob and i believe that if you pray that it'll happen for you it's been happening to us it's just He's still in the picture. He, you know, the father wants us to be connected and to be, um, and for the veil for us to be taken off.
0: Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Well, can you uh, share with us, how do people get their hands on the book and how can they uh, interact and engage with your work even more?
3: Alan, you want to take that one?
0: Sure.
2: Well, you can read about the book. You can see our promo video, the protocol that kills.com. And on that website, there's a buy now page. And that page will link you to the Amazon listings for the hardcover or paperback or for the digital, full color, downloadable, keyword searchable PDF edition of the book. Mm. We've made that's very well priced. It's only $9.95 for a PDF. So we want to make the book available to anyone and everyone at a very reasonable cost so that they can have this in their hands. And as I said, we only have a hardcover edition, which costs a lot more to produce. Simply because an attorney said some people may want this as a reference on their shelves and yeah. want to have it as a more permanent book. Now, the paperback is perfectly produced and it's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, and so, But anyway, that's where you'd go. And if you want to contact us, there's a contact us tab there that you can go to and submit a form. If somebody wants to do an interview or contact Sheila, simply submit a contact form and we'd love to hear from you.
0: Awesome. Go do that, folks. Get your hands on this book and uh, dig in because it'll answer a lot of questions, some looming questions from the past couple of years, as well as give you some insight into the individual experience. And, you know, Rob was a friend of the show. We had him on so many times. We were uh, grieved uh, when we heard the news and we even uh, spent some time putting together a um, a tribute episode that uh, included some of... The most memorable some of our most memorable times with him um and so our hearts and our attention and our prayers are uh, all pointed in your direction sheila um and there you go folks go get the book check it out sheila roberta alan stalvi thank you so much for coming on the show um and we can't wait to hear more we'll put all the links in the show notes for everybody so that'll make it easy on ya. but thank you so much for coming on the show
3: Thank you.
0: thank you. Thank you. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that. I sure did. And Gon's, I know you did as well. Uh, and again, I want to take a second and thank our producers for this episode, named and unnamed. Uh, and we really not only appreciate it, but it is It is the sort of lifeblood that keeps this show alive. And remember, producership is not just financial uh, producership. You can produce with your time, your talent, or your treasure. Uh, If you want to get involved with some of the administration or the editing or sort of the back-end processes of what keeps this show alive, you can send us an email at canarycryradio at gmail.com. Or if you want to send in some art, any art at all if you're a creative person create something for the show and then go on over to canarycry.art canarycry.art where you can upload that and uh, we'll feature it on the next uh, the next episode of canary cry news talk we love that um what do you think any anything to say about your experience here today gonzo
1: well, I will say that our little experiment with Canary Cry Radio is continuing to chug along here. We made it through April. I believe we've published four episodes since coming back. And uh,
0: Yeah, we did it. Yeah, I th- I, are we, This is the end. Yeah. This is technically the end of the experimental Canary Cry Radio uh, uh, experiment.
1: Window I guess. phase, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, and uh, we've gotten so much great feedback. And right now, it feels like uh, the every two-week thing uh, is working well. We might continue with that for a while. Uh, We might take some time and try out an every-week experiment, maybe change the day, maybe Wednesday. I don't know. We have no idea. But if you have any suggestions or just want to make a comment uh, on the, I don't know, frequency of canary cry radio send us an email you know you know the one canary cry radio at gmail.com um and of course thanks to one more time all of our producers we've got uh the clippies we appreciate the time stampers uh those who send us links and and participate in the the drudgery that is running a podcast we appreciate that yep uh and let's see here. Did we give out all the all the links, all the resources? Eh, if I missed anything, folks, just type in canarycry.party to your browser. You can find everything you need there, yep. uh, including you should join our newsletter because we put all the sources uh, for all of our shows into that newsletter that goes out before every uh, episode, as well as joining the Canary Cry uh, text message alert system. That's fun. You can get text messages from me. And all you got to do is text the word canary to 877. 877- seven, four, zero, three, two, two, six. We don't take any of your information or sell it or do anything. I don't even know the names attached to these numbers. Uh, but we do send out a little alert, uh, before every show, just so you don't miss one. And, uh, thank you for everybody who's texting that number back. I do see your messages. <laughs> I may not respond to them because it costs us money to do that. Uh, but we appreciate, I appreciate all the cute little messages people send back. Um, Okay. Well, there you go, folks. We will be back with your regularly scheduled Canary Cry News Talk on Monday. uh, And we appreciate, hey, has it been a while since you've tuned into News Talk? Maybe you should check it back out. We're constantly tweaking the format uh, to make it more palatable for the OG Canary Cry radio listeners. It's two different crowds for sure. Uh, But both of these audiences work together to keep Gons and us alive and working hard every week uh in the in the the search of truth and uh transparency
1: and uh glory to the kingdom right mm-hmm. amen and by mm-hmm. the way uh this conversation with um sheila we just had you know rob was in age of deceit too and if you want to get a hard yes. copy of that we have uh, a thing that we're doing to uh, get you Gons. A hard man after my own heart that's right
0: <laughs> you can sign up for the supply drop we had some supply droppers sign up from last canary cry radio episode thank you so much yes so age of deceit this is you are the people canary cry radio listeners you are the people that need to hear this uh perhaps you remember of course you do it's a uh, like a formidable memory in all of our uh, lives watching Age of Deceit for the first time, and then finding Age of Deceit 2 and Age of Deceit 3, and we're all waiting for Age of Deceit 4. But you'll notice they're very difficult to find online. They keep getting taken down, they keep getting censored, people are mirroring them everywhere, but they don't last very long. Uh, So what we're doing is we are putting together a network of producers who are going to receive hard copies, that's right, DVD or Blu-ray or something, uh, of the Age of Deceit film series. We're going to be sending out Age of Deceit 1, 2, and 3 over the next three quarters, specifically to our Supply Drop producers. So if you believe in the value for value system, and this show and stock bring any value to your life, go to CanaryCrySupplyDrop.com, CanaryCrySupplyDrop.com, and sign up to support the show uh, monthly for thirty three thirty three. dollars that's just $2.77 per episode, it's a pretty good deal, but The important part is we'll start sending you stuff all year long, packages filled with uh, custom Canary Cry gear made in America, designed by our producers, our artists. Um, It's really a special program that's kept us alive over the past couple of years during this non-recession recession. recession. (laughs) Um, But right now is a great time to sign up. For the next month, there is a cutoff. So you gotta sign up this month. Go now, or else you'll miss out on the Age of Deceit uh, 1 DVD. So go sign up, CanaryCrySupplyDrop.com. It's uh, an incredible, uh, it's its all producers, man. It's like, it's its barely us. This is people coming together to keep uh, Canary Cry going because it brings value to their world. So if you want to join them and start receiving uh, the hard copies of Age of Deceit, go sign up, CanaryCrySupplyDrop.com okay sorry i rambled too much on that but there you go folks you gotta know about it because uh yeah it's it's not guaranteed that we will live on forever <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm most certainly anyway. guaranteed that we won't
0: yes that's yeah. right uh but we can uh, last a little bit longer with the help of producers yep. all right anything else i think that's it okay thanks everybody for listening to this episode of canary cry radio make sure to tune in next time but until then think outside the cage Thank you.